Who are the best and worst of fantasy baseball so far this season? Find out with our mid-season awards roundtable next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, July the 8th. It's show number 49 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season, and a special edition with five expert analysts from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. We'll be asking our panel for their votes on the biggest fantasy story of the year so far, their top sleepers for the first half and the second half, their fantasy bust of the year, plenty of candidates, American League and National League fantasy Cy Youngs and most valuable hitters, and our 2014 Fantasy First Half Most Valuable Player. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us for a special roundtable edition of Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? It's trophy time. We gotta talk some baseball. And let's get started with this Fantasy Awards Roundtable Edition by meeting our panelists. First, He's no stranger to Baseball HQ Radio listeners, our Metric Minute commentator, Ryan Bloomfield. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, PD. Glad to be back for another year of the Midseason Awards. Wish we could listen to this episode back in March. That would come in kind of handy now that you think about it. Also joining us from BaseballHQ.com, our matchups analyst, Greg Fishwick. Greg, welcome to the show. Great to be here, PD. Hello to everyone. I can't wait to hear all our choices today. Yeah, it should be interesting and always interesting. From BaseballHQ.com, speculator columnist and co-general manager, Ray Murphy. Ray, welcome back to our awards show. Hey, PD. Thanks for having me. Oh, and by the way, a belated happy Canada Day to you. I appreciate the uh, sentiment, Ray. Thanks very much. Our next guest on the panel from Southern California calling in early, our regular American League beat reporter at Baseball HQ Radio, it's Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome to the show. Hey, PD. Good to be here, per usual. And great to have you, per usual. Also great to have our fifth member of the panel, our regular Friday talk with Todd correspondent. It's Todd Zola. Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks, PD. I wouldn't miss this for the world. Well, I'm glad to have you, of course. Uh, welcome again to everybody. And let's get started. We'll open the show with our story of the year so far in fantasy baseball. And uh, Todd Zola, since you were the last one introduced, we'll put you on the hot seat first. What is the story of the year in fantasy baseball for you? Well, I'm the leadoff hitter here. I know I'm supposed to take a couple pitches, loosen the pitcher up and that sort of thing. But you know what? I'm going to swing and swing away. And I'm going to go with the popularity of daily fantasy. I'm not going to talk players. I'm not going to talk teams. I'm going to talk the industry. I think the popularity of daily fantasy in the way that it's not just the players and the, and the popularity. It's now the pundits. It's now the advice. It's now the websites. It's now the Twitter. It's now all the podcasts. It's now all the video casts that are dedicated and, 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 and Sirius XM and their shows. All these places dedicated to the daily game, I think are changing things. And I think, I think for the better, but that remains to be seen, obviously. But to me, that is the big fantasy story of the year and we are talking fantasy 
We are talking fantasy, and it is a big story. Jock Thompson, uh, what do you say the big story of the year so far in fantasy baseball for you? As I'm prone to do in situations like this, I'm going to cheat a little and offer up two stories. The first being the two elite imports we're seeing dominate the AL landscape simultaneously in Jose Abreu and Masahiro Tanaka. I don't think we've ever seen this before. I own both of them in the Dynasty League in which I'm running away with first place, and I'm pretty sure it's not a coincidence. The second story I have is the the continuing decline of offense around baseball. We've noted big home run and stolen base drops over the recent seasons, but this is the eighth consecutive season of batting average decline from 269 in 2006, now at 251 today. It's become increasingly easier to find good free agent sleeper pitchers uh, over offensive performers. And I know, Jock, you couldn't help uh, get in a little plug for your first place runaway team there. Uh, moving on to Ray Murphy. Ray, we've heard some good ideas so far. A couple from Jock about uh, the elite imports as well as the fall off in offense. Todd Zola mentioning the uh, impact the daily format is having on the industry. Uh, you going to pick one of those or are you going to go off on your own? I have to take one of Jock's answers and expand upon them a little bit. He touched on Abreu and Tanaka, and to me, their initial impact on MLB is the story of the year. Not only are they, hands down, the rookies of the year, if they should be eligible for that or not, or newcomers of the year, or whatever you want to call it, but they're in the AL MVP and Cy Young mix. And not only that, but they look like two of the best acquisitions of the prior offseason, looking at back at everything that went on last winter and some of the podcasts we did where we analyzed all the offseason moves. These two signings of guys who are young and have a lot of good years ahead of them look like just terrific acquisitions for their teams, not just for this year, but for years to come. These are two players who are literally going to change the direction of the franchises for the Yankees and White Sox, and their impact is, as much as it's been significant for the first half of the season is going to go on for five or six years in both cases for their current teams and for that reason for me these are the stories of the first half is Tanaka and Abreu. So we have two votes for the elite imports from abroad. Uh, Greg Fishwick are you going to join the trend or what do you have to say? My story of the year is along the same lines as Jocks and Rays but the imports I'm talking about are from the minor leagues. George Springer may be a batting average liability But if you're in an on-base percentage league, he's already elite. Because along with the low contact rate that depresses his batting average, he also has a double-digit walk rate. He could finish the season with 30 home runs, 90 runs batted in, 80 runs, and 10 stolen bases. Gregory Polanco has only 101 Major League at-bats through Sunday, so he carries our small sample size warning, but he's never had a contact rate below 80% and also has a history of double-digit walk rates. He could finish the season with 10 home runs, 50 runs batted in, 80 runs, and 15 stolen bases. And Oscar Tavares is knocking on the door. In addition to the players, there are two other interesting aspects to this story that make it my pick. First, thanks to the spread of fantasy baseball and the growing acceptance of sabermetrics, Fans are so well-informed now that they're eager to see their team's top prospects arrive. That keeps more fans engaged and excited, which is great for the game. And second, I wonder how many teams, especially small market teams, will follow Houston's lead and avoid Super 2 worries by signing their best prospects to long-term contracts earlier in their careers. That practice can benefit the players, too, so it has intriguing possibilities. 
Well, it does have intriguing possibilities, especially as the uh, revenues keep rising. It might turn out to be a bad deal for the players as they find themselves locked into contracts that are going to be dwarfed by the ones that come along with new regional sports network deals and so forth. Uh, it looks like the sky's the limit for player salaries. It sounds pretty smart of the teams to be locking in their good young talent before the price tags really go berserk. Also, I think... Uh, this is not exactly a new phenomenon. I remember the Rays signing Evan Longoria to a, a long-term contract extension well before his arbitration and free agent date. So this is something that smart teams have been doing for a while. Uh, finally, Ryan Bloomfield, do you want to join the parade about these uh, young imports? Yeah, I was going to go with Todd's choice, uh, the rise in daily games. It's been a huge story um, all season for not only fantasy baseball, but the industry itself. I think it's a good one. Uh, but I live in one of the four or five states, Arizona, that the majority of those sites do not allow to play for prizes. So I can't really comment too much on those. Uh, for me, the story of the year was how much money Dr. James Andrews made from all the early season Tommy John surgeries to key pitchers this season. Uh, it got to a point where you know I was honestly afraid to check news updates, Twitter, etc. In, in March and April, it seemed like everyone was going down. Uh, guys like Patrick Corbin, Chris Medlin, obviously Jose Fernandez, Matt Moore, even prospects Jamison Tyon, Bronson Arroyo just had it, who's the Iron Man of, of starting pitchers, uh, went down with TJ. So it's very scary to know that your pitcher can be out for the year seemingly at any time with some of these surgeries. Now, you know, there's a lot of theories on, on why TJ surgeries are becoming more common. Things like year-round youth baseball, the focus on velocity at, at a young age, don't really know for sure at this point. But the takeaway that I have is that I'm still likely to draft uh, hitting early on. You know, anyone can get hurt. Injuries are part of the game. But season-ending injuries like Tommy John can really cripple your team uh, all season. So that's my story of the year so far. All right, boys, uh, those were all really interesting stories. All of them are going to have significant impact, I think, on the fantasy baseball environment for this year and on into the future. Uh, let's move on to our players now, the first of nine player categories on this year's show, the American League Sleeper of the Year to date. And we'll start this one with our American League beat reporter at Baseball HQ Radio, Jock Thompson. I'm going with Victor Martinez for this category. At a time when offense is collapsing everywhere, this 35-year-old who missed all of 2012 due to an injury is just surging. We expected a batting average around 300, but not the 320-plus we're seeing. And his power and power indices are all well above career norms. At midseason, he's just three or four home runs from tying his career high set back in 2007. The combination of batting average and power is almost doubling his profitability and putting him in the elite earning category. Victor Martinez is my guy. Yeah, and I bet Victor Martinez went for relatively low salaries in a lot of auction leagues, and later on, because of his DH-only eligibility, a lot of owners took David Ortiz at full value, expecting him to be uh, his usual self, and Martinez slid down the pile quite a bit. Uh, let's move on. Ray Murphy, who's your American League Sleeper of the Year? PD, we talked about this guy last time I was on the Tuesday Tout edition, and Michael Brantley gets my vote for doing the most he can with a slightly above-average skill set that comes with one elite skill, and that is his ability to make contact. He's a guy who entered this season as sort of a you know roster filler, fourth outfielder kind of guy who you know has hung up $35 in value this year just on the virtue of putting a ton of balls in play, hitting a few balls over the fence, a 
racking up a few stolen bases and using that one elite contact skill to rack up a 320 batting average. So this out of the blue first half from Michael Brantley gets my vote for the sleeper of the year in the American League, and he may that contact skill may be enough for him to carry forward some reasonable facsimile of this for the first half, for the second half, excuse me. I don't see him as a major bus candidate. I'm uh, driving the Michael Ban- Brantley bandwagon here. So we have a vote for Victor Martinez, one for Michael Brantley. Greg Fishwick, BaseballHQ.com matchups analyst, what's your vote? I agree with Ray on Michael Brantley. I do want to give kudos to Dallas Keuchel in this category, and not just to make up for mispronouncing his name when I first mentioned him on the Weekend Matchups Up podcast. Keuchel has faded a bit recently, but he still has a base performance value over 100, and he did earn $15 in the first half, probably without much of an investment in most leagues. Brantley costs $16 in AL-only tout wars, but just $4 in mixed. At BaseballHQ.com, we have him earning $36 in 5x5 for the first half. With his batting average at 321 and his on-base percentage at 385 through Sunday, it doesn't matter which of those stats your league uses because Brantley pays big dividends in both. He may not stay on his pace to score and knock in 110 runs, hit 25 home runs, and steal 20 bags, but he's nearly reached some of his season-long projections in the first half alone. As Jock pointed out earlier, hitting is harder to find than pitching, and Brantley exceeded expectations across the board. So as an unexpected five-category contributor, he gets my vote. That's a great point. It's so hard nowadays to find guys who can contribute across the board, as Michael Brantley has been doing. He's a great pick, I think, and uh, boy, I bet he won't be a sleeper next year. The question is, is he going to be something of a consensus pick here in Baseball HQ Radio's midseason awards? And Ryan Bloomfield, are you going to step on Ray's bandwagon, or are you going to go off in your own direction? Yeah, I certainly see where Ray and Greg are, are coming from with the Brantley pick. Uh, but I'm going to go with a different guy on the same team. Um, that's Corey Kluber, the Cleveland Indians. Uh, Kluber posted a mediocre 385 ERA last season, but there were signs that he was much better uh, when you actually took a look at the underlying skills. Our expert uh, starting pitcher analyst, uh, Stephen Nickran, pegged Kluber as one of the best breakout targets in the game back in March, and, and Kluber certainly hasn't disappointed. He, he now has a sub-3 ERA. He's got more strikeouts and innings pitched. He's been extremely profitable this season. Just as importantly, uh, the skills have grown too. So, you know, his expected ERA is also below three, which you really never see from starters. He's got a 145 base performance value or BPV, which again is elite for starters. He's keeping the ball on the ground too. I, I think these, he can keep this up uh, moving forward. Pretty much all of Kluber's skills tell us that he's legit. And he definitely was a sleeper who panned out for his owners this year. And in my opinion, uh, will continue to do so moving forward. Yes, a 145 base performance value is, it's not just elite, it's verging on super elite. I mean, an average guy in the league is around 70 or 75, something like that. That's what we look for. So at 145, his skills are double what we look for. Corey Kluber definitely Comes out of left field a little bit and has been a tremendous player. Uh, finally, Todd Zola, do you want to pick Michael Brantley, Victor Martinez, Corey Kluber, or do you have someone else to look at? Well, it looks like I'm going to keep things in the AL Central, and actually I'm going to mention the same player that Ray and Greg mentioned, and I'm going to call Michael Brantley my AL Sleeper of the Year for a lot of the same reasons that, that Ray and Greg 
uh, brought up, so I won't repeat that. They, they stated the case pretty well. What I'll finish with is sometimes sleepers go away. Sometimes sleepers go back to sleep. I don't think Brantley's going to do that. I think Brantley's a guy that's just going to, he's going to sustain what he's doing. Uh, Ray mentioned the contact rate. To me, you know, that, that's the number one tell that what we're seeing can be sustained. An increased, an increased contact rate is most likely to be sustained. Plus, the fact that he contributes in all five categories, as Greg mentions. He contributes all across the board, so if he happens to fall off in power, he's still going to steal. He's still going to be a fantasy force the second half of the year. All right, so there you have it. Three votes for Michael Brantley as our American League Sleeper of the Year. Now let's move on to the National League Sleeper of the Year, and this time we'll open with BaseballHQ.com speculator columnist Ray Murphy. I've got to go with Charlie Blackman in the National League as the Sleeper of the Year. Just the way he's filled the box score from the top of the lineup in Colorado has been just astounding this year. And to be fair, the performance was somewhat front-loaded. He's cooled off in the last three, four, or five weeks. But what he did through April and May particularly was just so good. It built such a strong foundation for anybody who rostered him, or even if you picked him up somewhere in April when he got off to that hot start, just the combination of the dozen or so home runs, the 15 stolen bases, the 300 batting average, just such a boost for anybody who's got him on their roster and it papers over problems in any number of other areas. If you had most of Charlie Bla- Charlie Blackman for most of that run in the first half, he may very well have put you in contention all by himself. That kind of impact gets him my sleeper of the year vote. Okay, Greg Fishwick, what do you say? Who's your National League sleeper of the year? Well, I didn't go with Keichel in the AL. But I did sneak in another correct pronunciation of his name here. And I am voting for a starting pitcher as my National League Sleeper of the Year, because both Alfredo Simon and Jason Hamill stood out to me. I'm giving the nod to Hamill. He won eight games for the same team on which the more heralded Jeff Samarja could only eke out two. Sixteen of Hamill's 17 starts have been PQS dominant, and his PQS average is 4-4. Through Sunday, his ERA is 298 and his whip is 102. Hamill has struck out 104 in 109 innings. His hit rate and strand rate are both within normal ranges, and his expected ERA is only 0.22 above his actual ERA. In other words, his 123 BPV looks real, and he'll be in a pitcher's park with Oakland. Hamill cost only $2 in NL-only tout wars and went undrafted in mixed tout. At BaseballHQ.com, we have him earning $22 in 5x5 for the first half. With that 1,000% return on investment, I had to vote for Hamill. Yeah, those are good points. And one other thing about his move to the Oakland County Coliseum, it's not just a ballpark effect that's going to benefit Jason Hamill, but that's a much better team. More run scoring, certainly a far better bullpen than he had in Chicago. I really like Jason Hamill for the second half. In fact, I uh, blew my uh, fab budget on getting, getting him in my AL only league, and I'm looking forward to a positive second half from Jason Hamill. Uh, Ryan Bloomfield, who's your National League Sleeper of the Year? I'm going to go with a guy who had a preseason ADP of over 200, and he's now the top third baseman over the first half in terms of earnings, and that's Todd Frazier. Uh, Frazier was given an upside projection in this year's baseball forecaster of 25 homers and a 265 batting average, 
but it looks like we didn't go far enough with that. It looks like he's going to shatter through that upside projection. Frazier's hitting around 300 with 17 homers through Sunday's games. He's even tossed in 13 steals. Uh, he's running a lot more under new manager Brian Price, which which Patrick, you and Todd talked about um, in the last podcast. Uh, he's running over twice as much as he previously did under Dusty Baker. So he's got lead average speed. Uh, but he, but he's running more and that's resulting in more steals. He, he owns and has owned excellent power skills. His power index and his expected power index are both around 140 and his expected batting average sits near 275. So I don't, you know, I don't know if he can keep up hitting 300 all year, but uh, I think he can, you know, again, stay above 275. Uh, hit 25 to 30 homers and, and finish the season as the top third baseman in all of baseball. And that could be the indication of a real true sleeper. Nobody said before the season that Todd Frazier had any chance of being the best third baseman in fantasy baseball, and it looks like he's got a very strong shot at doing that. Uh, Todd Zola, who's your National League Sleeper of the Year to date? Well, the guy I am going to talk about was actually mentioned was actually mentioned by Greg. He talked about Jason Hamill, and he talked. To, he mentioned Alfredo Simon, and I'm going to talk about Alfredo Simon. He's my NL sleeper of the year. Heck, he he probably wasn't drafted in a lot of NL only leagues. Who's going to draft a you know a, a setup man, swing man, reliever in Cincinnati's home park? No one. He came on, he started a couple games, we weren't sure, we picked him up, and once you pick him up, you know, it's sell high, sell high, he's lucky, and he has been, that batting average and balls in play and that strand rate have been off the charts luck, but... Uh, you know what, I mean, we're, we're talking about what's, what's done is done, and the first half of the year, the man has been a godsend as far as saving a lot of NL-only staffs, let alone mixed-leave staffs. So, Alfredo Simone is my... NL sleeper of the first half. However, I'm still I'm waiting for the wheels to fall off. I'll continue to wait for the wheels to fall off. That BABIP has to come down to earth. And as it does, the strand rate is probably going to fall as well. And I, just, I don't see the, the peripheral supporting a repeat of what he's done. Yes, I think when you said waiting for the wheels to fall off is uh, pretty much the sentiment that I share with you and probably a lot of other people do. And who knows, maybe we're all wrong and he'll just keep sailing along and make another huge profit off somebody who buys him off of a roster from somebody who thinks he's got to fall off. Uh, Jock Thompson, we've got four different votes. Charlie Blackman, Jason Hamill, Todd Frazier, Alfredo Simon. Are you going to vote for one of those or do you have someone uh, else in mind? A true sleeper on our spring first pitch post-hype prospect list D. Gordon was scoffed at by way too many owners and his chances of becoming any kind of an earner in 2014. But what most of them didn't take to heart was how well he was adapting to second base over winter ball and the muscle he'd added during the offseason. And apparently they forgot that he's always hung in well against right-handed pitching and, of course, how fast he is. So now here he is. He's leading the league in stolen bases. He's upped his contact into the mid-80s, kept his batting average around the 280-290 range, and has become a $40 earner. He's my NL sleeper. Yeah, when you earn 40 bucks and in many leagues weren't drafted or were taken in the reserve rounds or so forth, that too is the definition of a sleeper. Five good choices, five different choices from our panel on the National League Sleeper of the Year. That's talking about sleepers so far. What everybody wants to know, of course, is who are going to be the sleepers for the second half. And we'll start this round with Ryan Bloomfield. 
Yeah, Patrick, I'll lead things off with a guy who I think is due for a, for a huge power surge in the second half, and that's Jason Wirth. Uh, Wirth has the highest discrepancy between power index and expected power index of anyone in baseball in the first half. Um, his, his PX, his power index, is at 95, which is just below average, and his expected power index is at an elite 170 so far, so major difference between the two. Expected power index looks at hard hit line drives and fly balls to get a gauge for a player's power. So it tells us that Worth is hitting plenty of these hard liners, hard fly balls. They're just not turning into home runs yet. I think they will sometime soon. Uh, Worth still has solid plate skills. He's bumped his fly ball rate over 40% this year, and he's just mashing the ball. He's got a 44% hard hit ball rate, which is excellent. The league average is somewhere near uh, 30 32%. Um, so even though he's in his mid-30s, is somewhat of an injury risk. I think you're going to see more homers from him in the second half. He's got only eight homers so far. Uh, so if you're in need of some power down the stretch, I would definitely hit up your league's Jason Worth owner. See if he's available. Um, Worth actually just won National League Player of the Week um, as we're recording this. So so get on board before it's too late. I think Worth's going to be a, a nice surge in the second half. It's always good to look at those players whose performance is well underneath or, or below what you'd expect given their expected performance by Baseball HQ metrics like expected power index, expected ERA, and so forth. Todd Zola, who's your second half sleeper? I'm going to go a little bit, take a little bit of liberty here, and I'm going to go with a minor leaguer, and I'm going to go with Danny Salazar, the Indians pitcher, who started the year, of course, with the Indians, with Cleveland, and was sent down. I don't want to say unfairly because there was some bad pitching involved. I mean, he did have a really good strikeout to walk rate, but he was giving up homers left and right. So there was some bad pitching along with just a bad luck on his home run rate. He was sent down to Columbus, AAA, and he's actually done all, pretty much the same that he did up with Cleveland. With, with, with Cleveland, he had 47 Ks and, and 17 walks and 40 and two-thirds innings. And with Columbus, he's got 53 Ks and 17 walks in 42 innings. Uh, now he had eight homers allowed with Cleveland and six with Columbus, so it's a little better, but then it's in the minors. But the key to me is the last two games that Salazar has thrown with Columbus. He's fanned 18, he's only walked four, and he hasn't given up a home run or didn't give up a home run in either of those two games. Uh, I think that if he can continue to strike him out and continue to exhibit good control and keep the homers down, we're going to see him in the second half. I mean, TJ House, are you really going to keep Salazar down for TJ House? Trevor Bauer, uh, he's doing doing okay. If Cleveland is in any sort of pennant run, uh, I'm not so, you know, I think they, they'll probably probably leave him in there. But I think we're going to see Salazar. And last year in 50 innings, he had a pretty good end of the season around a three-ERA. So I think Salazar can do that sort of thing again in the second half. So Jason Worth and Danny Salazar so far are second-half sleeper picks. Jock Thompson, what do you say? I'm going to take Jeff Smarja for my second-half sleeper. This is a guy who won two games, 17 starts, and over 100 innings pitched, during which he had a 283 ERA and 100-plus strikeouts when he was with the Cubs. Chicago was shut out in five of 17 starts. They scored two runs or less 12 times for him. He wins his very first start in Oakland, and he's got to be like a kid who just got out of jail. 
I think there's a big second half coming. And if you're looking for an interesting playing time pick, I got another guy, Enrique Hernandez, a utility player just promoted for Houston. He's made some nice jumps in contact and batting average, both of which Houston desperately needs. He can play shortstop and left field, two positions at which the Astros are hurting, and he's going to get every second half opportunity to succeed or fail there. So I've given you two names. Yeah, and you gave us two stories uh, earlier. I hope you realize you're not getting extra pay for all this. Uh, Ray Murphy, who's your second-half sleeper? I'm going to continue to double down on my support of one of my favorite targets from the preseason, and that was Jason Hayward, who got off to a terrible start in April and picked it up a little bit since then, uh, showing signs of life. He's been now been moved out of the leadoff spot and back down into the middle of the order in Atlanta. I think this is very good for him. He's got the skills of a leadoff hitter and that he walks a lot, sees a lot of pitches, and does things that you normally want your leadoff hitter to do. But I'm not so sure that lineup position is good for him and his approach, even though his skill set seems to match it. And I think moving him back down into the middle of the lineup, which has happened recently, may just be the catalyst to really get him going and see a half season from Jason Hayward, the likes of which we've really been waiting for since he came up and showed us so much as a 20-year-old a few years back. So Jason Hayward, for me, a hint of optimism far, far beyond what we've seen from him in the first half of the year. And Greg Fishwick, we have four different names, actually five, counting uh, Jock's doubleheader, Who's your pick for the second half sleeper? I'm going to pass on those fine rebound candidates and others you guys voted for. And if you'll pardon the pun, I'm betting on Mookie Betts in Boston. Shane Victorino may not return this season as he's having trouble even staying healthy enough to last through a rehab assignment. Brock Holt has an unsustainable 39% hit rate. Johnny Gomes, Daniel Nava, and Jackie Bradley Jr. all have negative BPVs. Meanwhile, the Red Sox gave second baseman Betts time in the outfield at double and triple A this year before they released Grady Sizemore. The BaseballHQ.com minor league analyst team rated Mookie Betts an 8C, giving him a 50% probability of becoming a solid regular in the majors. This will be his first window of opportunity, and Betts is only 22 years old, 5 feet 9 inches tall, and 165 pounds. But in 1,022 minor league at-bats, he has walked more than he struck out, and he has a contact rate above 88%. His career slash line is 312, 407, 461, with nearly 10% extra base hits and 88 stolen bases. In 305 at-bats between double and triple A this year, he outperformed his career slash line. It's a bit of a long shot, but I'm betting bets is ready. So there you have it. If you're looking for somebody to make a bet on for the second half, you could do worse than trying some of these names. Jason Wirth, uh, Ryan Bloomfield's pick. Todd Zola likes Danny Salazar. Jock Thompson likes Jeff Samarja and Kike Hernandez. Ray Murphy likes Jason Hayward. And as you just heard, Greg Fishwick is betting on Mookie, Mookie Betts of the Boston Red Sox. Finally, let's look at a category that I seem to dominate every year on my rotisserie teams, the bust of the year, and we'll open this one with Greg Fishwick. Starting off with a list of all my nominees for bust of the year would just dredge up a lot of regrets that I'm still trying to bury, Patrick. So I'll go along with someone you mentioned in your master notes on closers last week. As you said, he was a can't-miss, sure thing coming into this season. He had 101 saves over the past two years. And this year, he inherited the closer role on a team that was better than his previous one. 
his three setup men in Oakland, Luke Gregerson, Sean Doolittle, and Ryan Cook, could each be closers on nearly any other team. In short, Jim Johnson was moving to Easy Street. He had a 2013 BPV of 103, and our 2014 baseball forecaster said, in this case, the best ability is dependability. He went for $15 in AL-only tout wars and $12 in mixed. What could possibly go wrong? Well, his hit rate could touch 40%, his whip could touch 2, he could walk nearly as many batters as he struck out, his ERA could touch 6, and he could lose his job. He now has the same number of wins as he has saves plus holds, and that's all of four. His 2014 BPV mirrors his first half earnings. He has a BPB of 11, and he has, air quotes, earned minus $11. I'll stop now because there's no crying in baseball, but Jim Johnson is my bust of the year. And, of course, the $12 winning bidder in the mixed tout auction for Jim Johnson. Yeah, the, you're listening to him. Ryan Bloomfield, who's your bust of the year for 2014 so far? My bust of the year has been, you know, had been one of the, the most consistent hitters in baseball. Uh, this guy had over 550 at-bats in every season since 2006. He had only one season below $20 in value over that time, and he had four $30 seasons uh, since 2006 as well. That's the kind of reliability you love to pencil in the first round, but you would have been burned this year by Prince Fielder. Uh, Fielder's Texas debut has been a disaster. Uh, he had only 247 with three homers and 150 at-bats before going down for the year in mid-May. A lot of people thought the move to Texas would really uh, boost Fielder's stats, so even though he did get hurt, the skills were down as well. Uh, Fielder had an ADP of 14, uh, making him, you know, kind of a swing pick near the, near the end of the first round. Uh, but to get that lack of production from that high of a pick or that much money at auction really sets your team behind the eight ball all season. So Fielder's my call for bust of the year. Jim Johnson and Prince Fielder so far. Todd Zola, who's your bust? Uh, I'm going to go with Dustin Pedroia, but I'm going to put a small caveat in that I looked at the numbers at the end of June, and I still believe he's the bust of the first half for me. But at the end of June, his batting average was 272. Since then, he's gone 10 for 22 through through uh, Monday night anyway, well through Sunday anyway, not including Monday's games. Was 10 for 22 and raised his average 12 full points. So I can't say his batting average is all that disappointing anymore. Uh, but I can say that his production, that his home runs and his steals are not what we expected. You know, he's a guy that we thought would give 15-15, would threaten 100 runs, 100 RBIs, depending where he was in the order. He's, he's scoring. He's knocking in some guys. Boston's doing a little bit offensively. Not great, but they're doing a little bit. Uh, but, but Pedroia, he's not running. He's got two steals and he's caught six times. They're not gonna, he's not gonna run anymore. Two for eight for steals. He's done. And he's got four homers. And, you know, again, he's not going to hit 20, 25. But for a guy we expect to hit 15, four is not what I want. Heck, if I wanted a middle infielder to give me a good average and, and a handful of steals and a handful of homers, I would have waited for Omar Infante. I wouldn't have spent my second or third round pick on Dustin Pedroia. And that's what it would have taken. So he's my bust of the first half. 
Well, this is shaping up nicely. Jim Johnson and Dustin Pedroia get two out of the first three votes, and they're both on my Tote Wars AL team, and uh, Dustin Pedroia also on my American League only team. So you can tell what kind of year it's been for me. Uh, Jock Thompson, please tell me you don't have Jim Johnson or Dustin Pedroia. I'm with Ryan on this one. Normally I cut some injury guys some slack, but I, I really don't know when Fielder's neck injury kicked in or how much real effect it's had in his performance. His power declined way back in 2012. It began back in 2012, but fantasy owners still put him in their top uh, 20 ADPs in 2014, partly based on the move to left-handed uh, hitter-friendly Arlington. Roughly 150 at-bats, three home runs, and a 247 batting average later, not to mention a, a season-ending DL stint, Prince Fielder is my American League bust of the year. Actually, he's my full year bust of the year. Whoa, strong words indeed from Jock Thompson voting for Prince Fielder. That's two for Prince. Ray Murphy, you want to make it three or go another direction? Well, trying to keep this to healthy guys, and I'll even give Pedroia a bit of a pass on the first half just because we know he was playing through a couple of dings, and he's quietly been a little bit better lately. And I'm a Boston homer, and I don't want to rag on Boston Pedro Dustin Pedroia. So I'm going to throw my vote to Eric Hosmer, who, while not quite an elite option entering the season, was a you know $20 plus auction bid or a fourth, fifth, sixth round straight draft guy. And his performance has just been so far below what you expect from that draft round or expense, especially at the first base position where you're supposed to be getting a cornerstone bad power guy. We've got 350 at-bats looking at him this year with four home runs and three stolen bases and a 250 batting average. This is terrible. Admittedly, you know, the only thing that sort of shields him from getting a, a even more blame for ruining fantasy seasons is the fact that the Royals have been pretty good despite overall offensive problems up and down that lineup. But Hosmer is a key part of the struggles to generate home runs in Kansas City, and if they had any offense at all, they'd be probably ahead of the Tigers at this point. And if his owners had any offense at all, they'd be that much further up their fantasy standings. So I'm going to throw Eric Hosmer under the bus here and make him my bust of the year in the category of guys that we believe to be healthy at least. Okay, so it looks like Prince Fielder gets two votes there for bust of the year, and the other ones are spread around amongst various other players. I think I would have voted for Eric Hosmer, too. He had such a lot of hype coming in. This was going to be the breakout year. Of course, I'm disappointed in Dustin Pedroia, but he seems to be turning it around a little bit, at least as far as the batting average is concerned. All right, we're going to take a quick break now, and when we come back, we'll get the big awards, our National and American League Fantasy Cy Youngs, our most valuable hitters, and the first half most valuable fantasy player. Stay with us, Baseball HQ Radio. Playing fantasy baseball is about having fun, so have more fun more often with One Month Fantasy Games at ChandlerPark.com. One Month Games offer the best of both worlds, the fast action and excitement of daily games with the strategy and tactics of full-season formats. You draft your team using set salaries, all based on player performance. Then you set your roster twice a week, playing matchups and hot hands. Best of all, one bad month doesn't sink your whole season. And a fast start puts you in the money that much quicker. More fantasy fun, more often, with One Month Fantasy Games at ChandlerPark.com. This is Ron Chandler, Monthly Fantasy Baseball. More drafts, more pennant races, more fantasy fun, more often. Give it a try. Hey, you want to keep your eyes peeled this week at BaseballHQ.com for these features. Greg Pyron's Batting Buyer's Guide looks at hitters who have shown gains and losses in the I-Ratio metric. 
Jock Thompson's playing time today looks at the fallout from the big trade, bringing Jeff Samarja and Jason Hamill to the Oakland A's. And our regular daily call-ups reports look at Cincinnati left-hander David Holmberg, Houston outfielder Domingo Santana, and many more. Plus all the regular features, daily analysis of changes in playing time, performance validation in facts and flukes, all our buyer's guides, pitcher matchups, and much more on the site now or coming up soon at BaseballHQ.com. They're waiting for the numbers to change. There it goes. Cal Ripken comes out, raises his arm with a cap, and here is the ovation that he gets. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. It's our mid-season awards program. Joined on the program by Todd Zola, Jock Thompson, Ray Murphy, Greg Fishwick, and Ryan Bloomfield. And in the first half, we talked about some of the busts and some of the sleepers of the fantasy baseball year so far, the big stories. Now we move to the second half of our show, and we'll be talking about our individual big award winners, starting with the American League Fantasy Cy Young Award. Which pitcher do you think deserves the nod? We'll start with BaseballHQ.com commentator Todd Zola. Well, I'm going to kick us off with Masahiro Tanaka as my AL Cy Young Award winner over the first half. Primary reason is in fantasy, strikeouts are so, so, so very important. And even though I may have had Felix Hernandez a little bit higher as far as value goes, I'm going to give Tanaka a little bit of bang for the buck because of those extra strikeouts. I don't know. I've heard a couple theories, one being that in Japan, the culture is such that the batters will do anything they can not to strike out, choke up, do whatever they can on with two strikes to make contact, and it might not be the same here. So we may have been a little fooled with the translation with his stuff as far as getting strike three goes, and it remains to be seen whether that splitter will continue to be as effective the second and third time through. He sees some lineups over the second half. But over the first half, anyway, with the nod over King Felix, I'm going with Masahiro Tanaka as the AL Cy Young winner. And that kind of spills over from what a couple of you mentioned at the top of the show in the story of the year, the effect that uh, these imported players are having, and Tanaka was one that everybody mentioned. Uh, Jock Thompson, how about you? Masahiro Tanaka? Okay, I'm with Todd on this one regarding Tanaka. I love what Felix Hernandez has done and think he was a tad underrated at the bottom of that top tier of pitchers entering the season. But Tanaka was a, a, a 101st ADP selection on opening day. And now here he is, third in ALERA, third in, third in whip, fifth in strikeouts, and first in wins. And he trails only starting pitchers who are drafted or salaried much higher than he was. So a lot of spring conjecture as to how good Tanaka might be. Now it looks like a classic value play, and Tanaka is my Cy Young pick. Two voters, two votes for Masahiro Tanaka. Ray Murphy, you going to get on this bandwagon? I'll make it three votes for Tanaka. He's got the whole package, wins, strikeouts, elite ratios, and coming at less than the ace price that you would have paid for a Felix Hernandez or Verlander or Scherzer in preseason. It's hard to mount the case for anybody else here, I think. You know, one other note for me is, you know, there's that, you know, sort of now infamous line from Brian Cashman back in the uh, spring training or maybe even before camps opened when he said that he was looking at Tanaka as a number three starter and trying to sort of tamp down the expectations for the Yankees new rotation addition. And I think this has proven to be just another example that we can't listen to 
words that come out of general managers' mouths. Anytime their mouth is moving, it's something that we should be viewing cynically. I don't know for sure that Cashman knew what he had here until the season started and we got a good look at the full arsenal of Tanaka, but I don't think there's anybody walking around credibly saying that this is a number three starter anymore. So Tanaka for me, all the way down. Geez, I, I wonder if uh, there was just a bit of wishful thinking by Brian Cashman, because can you imagine how good the Yankees' rotation and their team performance would be if Masahiro Tanaka were indeed their number three starter? Of course, he's uh, clearly their number one starter now. Sabathia could be done for the year. Uh, Kuroda's been okay, I guess. Now let's move on to Greg Fishwick. Greg, you want to keep piling on with Masahiro Tanaka? I guess if Todd was first base, Jock was second base, and Ray was third base, then I get to take Tanaka home. Heck, there are closers who would covet that base performance value of 159, not to mention his whip under one through Sunday. Only 18 walks in 17 starts, 15 of which were PQS dominant? That's crazy good. Plus those 130 strikeouts and 123 innings pitched. And his 12 wins sure make it a lot easier to heed our advice not to chase them, don't they? In AL-only tout wars, it was Darvish for 31, Scherzer and Sale for 29, Verlander for 27, Price for 26, Hernandez for 25, and Tanaka for 19. At his BaseballHQ.com 5x5 value of $34, Tanaka has out-earned all but Hernandez. King Felix is certainly outstanding, but... I'll join the crowd in voting for Tanaka. Yeah, Hernandez has out-earned Tanaka by a dollar or two, but certainly all the profit goes to the owners who have Tanaka because Fernandez would have been at or near full value for that uh, $35 season that he's having so far. Let's turn to Ryan Bloomfield, Baseball HQ Radio's Metrics Minute commentator. And uh, Ryan, can you make it a clean sweep for Masahiro Tanaka? All right, I'm going against the grain here. I will not make this a unanimous choice. Personally, we may have a bit too many Yankee fans on this panel. So I'm switching gears. Tanaka has had a fine year, uh, no doubt, but he did cost a, you know, a good amount at your draft or auction. So I'm going to go with one of Jock's uh, boys down there in, in SoCal. I'm going to go with Garrett Richards for the Angels. Richards has simply been amazing this year. He's got a, a 271 ERA with 10 wins and $25 worth of value uh, through Sunday's games. Uh, that $25, you know, does fall short of Tanaka, but Richards did cost almost nothing to acquire at the start of the season. He went for $4 in uh, AL Tout Wars compared to Tanaka's 19. Uh, Richards' ADP was just under 400, so he was basically undrafted in a lot of leagues. Uh, Tanaka's, again, was around 100, 101 to be exact. Uh, so I'm taking Richards based on the profit that he's given owners in the first half. Going forward, I, I I do think Richards can keep a lot of this up. His expected ERA sits in the low threes. He's got a blazing 96-mile-an-hour fastball. It generates plenty of ground balls, too. He's got a 49% ground ball rate. He may allow a few more homers in the second half. He's got a low uh, home run to fly ball rate. But overall, Richards' great start is pretty legit in my eyes. He's my choice for the American League side as the uh, most profitable pitcher in the first half. So there you have it. Four out of five for Masahiro Tanaka. We'll declare him the consensus winner with an honorable mention to Ryan Bloomfield's choice, Garrett Richards of the Angels. Now let's go to the National League Fantasy Cy Young, and we'll open with Jock Thompson. Okay, Johnny Cueto is the NL version of Tanaka from a price-performance point of view. He was even more undervalued than Tanaka entering 2014 thanks to injuries last season 
and then again this spring. Cueto was number 170 ADP-wise entering April. And now here he is, first in National League whip, second in ERA, and second in strikeouts. You can't ask for better value than that. Johnny Cueto is my guy. And uh, let's go to Ray Murphy. I'm not so sure that this guy's actually had as good a first half as Cueto, but I have to give bonus points for the where the heck did this come from slash out of nowhere factor. My vote's going to go to Josh Beckett, uh, maybe because I carry the Boston history of Josh Beckett with me, you know, watching his career evolve over the last decade or so. You got to remember that you know he looked nearly done when he left Boston a couple of years ago, and then missed most of the end of last season with a circulatory problem, and there was just absolutely no reason to think that he had in him what he's done in the first half. It's a hundred innings of a 2.5 ERA, almost a strikeout per inning of nearly 1.00 WHIP, just vintage Josh Beckett. It makes you wonder if it's 2003 or four, not 2014. This guy's no longer be, supposed to be capable of doing this anymore, and maybe. Maybe he can't keep it up for another half season, but just in case this was actually the last gasp, last best surge from Josh Beckett, I've got to tap, tip my cap to him for a great first half, including a no-hitter. So Josh Beckett gets my NL Cy Young vote. So a split vote so far. Greg Fishwick, what do you say? Sorry, Ray, but I've got to go along with Jock on Johnny Cueto. His 130 strikeouts, ERA under two, and whip below one dominate three of four possible categories for a starting pitcher. He may have only eight wins, but he's returning $36 on a $12 investment. Sure, his hit rate is 23% and his strand rate is 81%, so he may have been helped by a little luck. But he's been in that territory before for both of those rates, and luck is not a category. As Chuck Berry would say, Johnny be good. Well, geez, first Jock Thompson says Cueto is my guy. And now you say, uh, Johnny B. Good, this is turning into some kind of oldies retro party. Let's see what Ryan Bloomfield has to say. Bring us back into the 21st century, Ryan. So I'm with Greg and Jock on this one. Uh, Cueto is my choice for NL Cy. He's simply put up too much value, uh, especially given where he was drafted, as Jock just mentioned, and all the injury concerns uh, around Johnny Cueto entering the season. Remember, he made just two starts in the second half last year and pitched just 61 innings. An interesting tidbit on Cueto, uh, so far this year he's allowed more than two runs just three times all season uh, in his first 18 starts. Extremely consistent production from Cueto. I'm really not sure how he even has six losses already. Uh, so Cueto's value could actually be considerably higher uh, with some more run support and, and win totals. But uh, I'm still a little bit concerned about uh, the injury risk to Cueto moving forward. Uh, but the skills are there. There's no doubt he's the NL Cy Young so far, given the uh, given the profit he's posted. So that's three votes for Johnny Cueto. Todd Zola, what do you say? I'm going with Johnny Cueto as well. Uh, it's near unanimous. I'd like to give Ray a little shout-out there, Ray, for uh, going with Josh Beckett, a little bang-for-the-buck action, and I think it's it's deserved. But I'm going to go with Cueto. I, had, I, too, I've got, with my value system, have him as the number one-ranked pitcher in the major leagues. Uh, the, the injuries are still going to be a question. And I mentioned Simone before with luck. We, you know, Greg and Ryan both outlined the luck so far, Jock as well, that, that, that Cueto has enjoyed. But the skills are, are stellar as well. So, uh, whereas Simone, you know, had some, 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 some good luck and it was 
probably not a whole lot of skill involved in that luck. I think some of Cueto's, what we think is luck, is just playing good pitching as well. It's He's going to regress, as, as the guys say. But uh, I think injuries, durability, is the bigger question with Cueto than um, uh, what measure of continued success he might have. So, like the American League, we have a four out of five vote for our National League Fantasy Cy Young winner, and it is Johnny Cueto of the Reds. And if anybody's looking for an explanation of where Johnny Cueto came from this year, the answer is, I drafted him in Tow Wars last year. Now let's move on to the most valuable hitter. And in the American League, we're going to kick off with BaseballHQ.com speculator columnist and co-general manager Ray Murphy. Well, I've got to be consistent here. I talked about Tanaka and Abreu as the story of the year, and I gave Tanaka my Cy Young vote. So I've got to give Abreu my MVP vote. Just a monster first half. 27 home runs, even though he had a DL stint. This should, by all rights, have been a 30-home run first half if he hadn't taken a couple of weeks off. And this from a guy who we were optimistic about coming into the season, but we had some questions about, too. I remember some conversations around the first pitch forums and maybe even on this show about how Abreu would handle the cold weather when he got to Chicago for the first time in April. Well, that's kind of been answered. Uh, the 27 home runs and anything that gets him you know, north of 40 this year looks like a mortal lock, and anything along those lines is going to have him as a first-rounder entering 2015, and he's still just coming into his peak age. He's just going to be 27 this year, 28 next year. This is the beginning of what looks like at least a three- or four-year elite power surge. Jose Abreu, big splash newcomer and my first-half AL MVP hitter. 27 this year, 28 next year. I'm sensing a pattern here, and I'm going to project 29 the year after that. Uh, Jose Abreu, an excellent choice for most valuable hitter by Ray Murphy. Let's move on to Greg Fishwick. Greg, who's your most valuable hitter of the first half in the American League? I considered a Jose, too, but it was not Abreu. It was Altuve. He made it close for me with his batting average and stolen bases, leading to a great return on investment. But in this category, that return on investment wasn't enough for me. Instead... I placed more value on straight production relative to other hitters in the American League, regardless of cost. So I may be a year late with this vote, but I'm going with Mike Trout as the American League most valuable hitter. Through Sunday, he's the only batter in the American League with an OPS above 1,000. With the exception of stolen bases, he's in the top eight in four of the traditional 5x5 categories. And if you use OBP instead of batting average, he's in the top five. Sure, you had to pay full price for his production, but you got what you paid for. He did not let us down in any category, and he sweeps all the advanced metrics, like wins above replacement, runs created, and offensive win percentage. I understand this argument. Last year, when I was participating in the voting, I voted for Miguel Cabrera as my most valuable player in the American League because he was delivering what we needed him to deliver for a first-round pick, and there's really value in that. So often you can kill your team by taking a guy in the first round and having him uh, not perform up to snuff, and then you're really stuck unless you get a surprise performance from somewhere else. So I know that uh, a lot of people think a most valuable player in fantasy is the most profitable player, but... It ain't always so. Ryan Bloomfield, who's your most valuable hitter in the American League for the first half? Yeah, Patrick, I'm a little surprised that the the player with the highest dollar value in all of baseball in the first half hasn't been mentioned yet here. Uh, Jose Abreu's been a great story so far. His power's great. Mike Trout has been Mike Trout, but he also costed 
uh, Mike Trout Monty. Um, so I'm going with Jose Altuve as easily my choice for AL MVP or AL Most Valuable Hitter. Uh, he leads the majors in hits, has a batting average approaching 340, thrown in with almost 40 steals, amazing numbers so far. Um, he's definitely, you know, benefited from a fortunate hit rate, but he's also made big improvements, uh, making more contact. And Altuve just runs wild on the base pass. His contact rate, which had been in the mid to upper 80s throughout his early career, um, is now sitting at 93%, which is elite. So I think he can maintain, you know, a 300 batting average the rest of the way. That's right around where his expected batting average currently sits. And that would put him around around 320 for most of the year with who knows how many steals. Uh, so given that uh, Altuve was the highest earner, especially given his relatively low cost on draft day, he wasn't, uh, you know, an end game type of guy, but he didn't cost, you know, that much. Um, makes him a, makes him a shoe in for AL most valuable hitter in my mind. Three good arguments for three great hitters, Jose Abreu, Mike Trout, and Jose Altuve. Todd Zola, what's your vote? I, too, am going to go with Jose Altuve, agree with my colleague Ryan on that one there. Uh, I have him, too, leading AL in money, money earned. He had a great last few weeks to push him over the top in that regard. The batting average and the speed are, are driving that. Uh, I think that one of the advantages of Altuve on your roster, it's not so much position scarcity necessarily that these stats are worth more, but because you're getting the steals and the average from your second baseman, and, and, and a most valuable player is supposed to make the rest of your team better, right? So one of the things you're able to do is you're able to manage your roster so much more efficiently having Altuve giving you that batting average and giving you that speed. So you're now able to use the corners in your outfield to really fill in where you need, where you know, so you can manage the categories that much more effectively. So Jose Altuve has a little bit of Larry Bird in him, making his teammates better. Oh, a guy from Boston uh, calling up the memory of basketball Jesus Larry Bird, applying it to Jose Altuve. Uh, tall praise indeed. Also uh, interesting that uh, the categories that Altuve is really contributing in, batting average and stolen bases, are both the categories that are really in decline across the board in the American League and in baseball, for that matter, this year. So it's doubly valuable to have that. And as Todd says, you can go out and get your power from your outfield, which is easier to do than finding it somewhere else. Uh, Jock Thompson, we have uh, two votes for Jose Altuve. What do you say? Now, much as the fanboy in me would love to blurt out Mike Trout right now, I'm going to make it three in a row and go with Jose Altuve. Again, I look at ADP. He was number 92 entering April, and he was a guy who some owners were attempting to give away based on pessimistic projections. He now leads the American League in stolen bases and batting average at the midway point, two categories that have otherwise fallen into extreme decline. I love Trout. I love Jose Abreu, both of whom I own in different leagues, but I'm going to follow the crowd, and I'm going to go with Altuve. So after something of a split ticket to open the category, Jose Altuve comes up with three straight votes and captures the American League Most Valuable Hitter midseason award here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's move on to the National League. The Most Valuable Hitter there will start with BaseballHQ.com analyst Greg Fishwick. I think Giancarlo Stanton has single-handedly shattered the theory of lineup protection. Remember the preseason worries that no one would give Stanton anything to hit? I don't think it's Casey McGee's lineup protection that has led to Stanton's otherworldly production so far this year. 
My theory is that Stanton is from another planet, and it's one with zero gravity. Through Sunday, he has 21 home runs, he scored 61 runs, and knocked in 62. His batting average is 308, and his on-base percentage is 406. He's even added eight steals to boot. Stanton went for $30 in National League tout, and he's earning $39 in BaseballHQ.com's roto value. Again, there may have been some better bargains, and Troy Tulowitzki was a close second for me, but Stanton just gives you more bang for the buck. We talked about Giancarlo Stanton a little earlier on Baseball HQ Radio a week or so ago and about the big surprise in batting average coming out of nowhere. We expected him to hit home runs. We expected him to drive in runs, although not as many in what we thought was an anemic Miami lineup that has turned out to be able to score lots of runs. So Giancarlo Stanton's having a great year, and he wasn't a really top pick because of that batting average worry and that RBI worry, so uh, probably a pretty decent profit for people smart enough to have grabbed him at at their draft this year. Uh, Ryan Bloomfield, who's your vote for National League Most Valuable Hitter? Yeah, Stanton has certainly been an elite hitter this year, so I like your pick uh, there, Greg. I certainly have no problems with it. But I'm going to go with a guy who's earned around $40 this season and has entered the season as a platoon player at a position that he's barely even played before, and that's D. Gordon. Gordon's my choice. He's got a 300 batting average, over 40 steals, 50 runs atop the Dodgers lineup. And like I said, $40 in value. Um, really profitable player. Gordon wasn't supposed to even sniff the starting lineup um, entering spring camp. Uh, the club signed Alex Guerrero to to be the second baseman in the offseason. Uh, Guerrero got sent to the minors, but Gordon was still in a platoon with Justin Turner entering the season. Um, so he was pretty low on a lot of draft lists, but he's taken off and posted massive profit in value. Uh, Gordon makes good contact, got a mid-80s contact rate, hits the ball on the ground often, almost 60% of the time, and then he just lets his legs do the rest of the work to get on base. Um, he has complete freedom on the base pass. He attempts to steal basically half the time that he has an opportunity, and his speed's just elite, so I think the steals are going to keep on going. Um, so it's D. Gordon for me. And over to you, Todd Zola. I'm going to agree with Greg on this one. I'm going to say Giancarlo Stanton is my NL most valuable hitter over the first half. I'm going to cite a slightly different reason. I don't, this, the skill, the protection, all that stuff. I, I think we knew that, that Stanton can hit the ball out of any park. I think we were worried about his durability and he's proven healthy over the first half. But what's most impressed me and what's put him over the top for me is the run production, is the runs in the RBIs. Of course, this has more to do with the team around him scoring more runs than it, than it doesn't just him alone, although his prowess has obviously helped that. But through Sunday night, this is actually kind of eerily similar. Through Sunday night, Stanton had played in 88 games. Last year, he played in 116. And he has the exact same number of RBIs, 62, and has scored one fewer runs than last year, 61. Now, he's done that in about 120 less plate appearances. So, in, you know, he's hit three fewer home runs so far. Obviously, he'll blow away that 24 that he hit last year with 21 now. But the point being, those extra runs and those extra RBIs, are, at least in terms of fantasy, are what gives him that extra value to put him over the top. Giancarlo Stanton. So two votes for John Carlos Stanton, one for D. Gordon. Jock Thompson, you want to pick one of those or go in another direction? In the National League, I'm going with Troy Tulowitzki in this category. 
He was the NL's runaway batting average leader, and he was second in home runs by just three to Giancarlo Stanton. For those of you in on-base percentage league, he has a 14% walk rate. And yeah, he was higher than most ADP selections here, but you sure can't deny the attractiveness of mid, mid $30 earnings at a premium position like shortstops. So, yep, I am picking too low. So that makes it kind of a three-way race. Ray Murphy, what's your say? Well, I'm not going to let us get any clarity on this one. I'm going to make it a tie by casting a vote for D. Gordon as well. 40 stolen bases, obviously immensely valuable. Coming from a endgame, if at all, drafted or bid upon preseason value. We all knew he could run. This That was no surprise. But in a preseason where everybody was talking about Billy Hamilton, this is the guy who comes along and not only is utilizing those wheels, but utilizing them by finding his way to first base more often. He's doing all the things a speedster should. He's hitting ground balls. He's taking walks. His on-base percentage is north of 350. If you take that kind of on-base percentage with a guy who is this unbelievably fast, sure he's going to steal 40 bases in a half season. It's the plate skills that have actually broken, led to this breakout. It's not that D. Gordon suddenly got fast. We knew he was fast, and the value of 40 stolen bases in a half season is just so eye-popping, let alone from, a, from an end gamer that I've got to make him my vote here. So it does end up, as Ray Murphy says, a tie. Giancarlo Stanton gets two votes from Todd Zola and Greg Fishwick. And D. Gordon gets votes from Ryan Bloomfield and Ray Murphy. Jock Thompson on the outside with Troy Tulowitzki, still a fine vote. And finally, we're going to choose one of our most valuable hitters or pitchers and declare a fantasy most valuable player for the entire first half. And let's kick off with Ryan Bloomfield. Yeah, Patrick, for overall fantasy MVP, I'm sticking with D. Gordon uh, for the first half. Normally, I don't like to take you know speedsters like this. But like Ray mentioned earlier, Gordon is now, you know, a batting average threat as well with that improved contact rate. I think he can push, you know, 70, even maybe 80 steals as long as he keeps running. Uh, so Gordon Oders really are in the driver's seat here uh, moving forward, depending on what their league standings look like. Uh, they can either keep Gordon and basically lock up steals and then maybe, you know, sell off some other speedsters on the team for, for help in other categories. Or you could deal Gordon himself to someone else and, and, and turn Gordon's value in the first half into production into other categories down the stretch in the second half. So it's a nice time to be a D. Gordon owner. Unfortunately, I'm not one of them in any of my leagues this year. Um, but Gordon's 380 p and, and 40 bucks in value in the first half makes him my pick for fantasy MVP. Hmm, uh, pretty unusual to have a fantasy MVP with essentially no home runs or any hope of any home runs. But let's ask Todd Zola. Todd, who's your pick for the fantasy most valuable player of the first half? For my fantasy MVP, I'm going to give the nod to Jose Altuve, primarily for the reason I stated is that the roster construction, he makes your team so much better. Uh, just like to add a little, I guess the kids call it a humble brag here, during the first pitch tour in the spring, specifically mentioned Altuve as a target, mainly because you weren't going to get steals from any other second baseman. Now, we didn't know what D. Gordon was going to do at the time. We had no idea. And as, as Ryan just picked him as the, as the fantasy MVP, so we know how much of an influence he's had on the stolen base category. But the point being, going into the season, identified Altuve as someone to look at, and I had a couple people from those forums thank me, so I'd just like to take this time to say, you're welcome. 
So D. Gordon and Jose Altuve, a couple of middle infielders splitting the first two votes. Jock Thompson, which way are you going? Again, as much as I love Abreu, I'm going to go with my charter member at the Jose Altuve fan club, Todd Zola here, and I'm going to select Jose Altuve. I've already mentioned the reasons why, and I'm pretty pessimistic as to Altuve's ability to continue this binge, particularly based on his current team. But he's had a great year up to this point in time. Uh, we, we may be overvaluing the stolen base portion of this in fantasy play and maybe even the batting average portion to some degree. But hey, that's what we do. And Altuve is my midseason fantasy MVP. A little bit of momentum for Jose Altuve. Ray Murphy, are you going to continue the role or are you going to go some other way? I'm going to stick to my theme. I've got to go with Jose Abreu here. 27 home runs and under 300 at-bats because he had a DL stint. I mentioned a couple of minutes ago that 40 home runs for a mortal, were a mortal lock for him this year. How much higher can he go? 50 is more than reasonable at this point. We could see 55 from him if he just doubles his first half numbers and gets to 575 or 600 at-bats. Just such a impactful offensive performance in the power categories when power is harder to find than ever. I have to tip my cap to that and give him my nod, and even for the power over Jose Cruz, who's been just as impressive in his own right, just because of that DL stint and the way he's taken the league by storm and just absolutely lit up the the skies in Chicago. So Jose Abreu, my first half MVP. I think Ray meant Nelson Cruz there rather than Jose Cruz, a fine ball player in his own right back in the day. Uh, we'll, we now have D. Gordon, two votes for Altuve, a vote for Abreu, so it's kind of a split ticket again. Uh, we'll leave it up to Greg Fishwick to close us out by uh, figuring out if there's going to be a consensus here or a shattered ticket. What do you say, Greg? This is the category where I gave extra credit for return on investment, so you might be able to guess where I'm going. I've already pointed out the $36 return on a $12 investment for our National League Cy Young winner. Johnny Cueto has the best whip and the second best ERA in the major leagues. He ranks seventh in strikeouts. As for advanced metrics, he ranks third in adjusted pitching wins, third in win probability added, and eighth in wins above replacement for pitchers. So I'll be the one to show some love for pitchers here by voting for Johnny Cueto as my fantasy most valuable player. So there you have it, uh, five votes, four different names. I guess the majority winner, if there is such a thing, is Jose Altuve, with good support for D. Gordon, Jose Abreu, and Johnny Cueto. That wraps up our Baseball HQ Radio Mid-Season Awards program, and I couldn't have done it without the participation of our tremendous panel today. So thank you very much, Ray Murphy. Thanks as always, Patrick. You're not the best host in the business for nothing. Great job here. Best host in the business. Sounds like I should be asking for that raise. Jock Thompson, thanks a million. PD, thanks for having me. We'll see you again next year. I hope it'll be sooner than that, i.e. this Friday, when you're going to be doing the American League Beat Report. Ryan Bloomfield, thanks very much for participating. It was great. Yeah, thanks again, Patrick, for having me. Enjoyed it as always. And Greg Fishwick, not bad for a first-timer. Thanks a million. Looking forward to seeing you all at First Pitch Arizona for more fun in the fall. And last but not least, our regular Friday talk with Todd correspondent and one of the sharpest guys in the fantasy baseball business, Todd Zola. Thanks very much for participating in this year's roundtable. Thanks, PD. It's always a pleasure and an honor to be sitting among such a great group of analysts. Looking forward to it again already for next year. 
And that's Baseball HQ Radio, the Tuesday Tout Edition for July the 8th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 49 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our featured guest experts on this Tuesday edition, our special awards roundtable from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Speculator, columnist, and co-general manager Ray Murphy was in, along with analysts Ryan Bloomfield and Greg Fishwick the director of news and analysis, Jock Thompson, also our American League beat reporter here at Baseball HQ Radio, and Todd Zola. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Also, check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also feel free to follow my personal Twitter account at Patrick Davitt. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Friday with our News and Notes show featuring League Watch News reports, Todd Zola, pitcher matchups, and master notes on another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.